Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. So this week, I'm not exactly sure that the Church Planner Handbook says that this should be the message five weeks in. Um, Because don't worry, it's not about money or giving or anything like that. People just, oh my gosh, what is he going to talk about? But the the thing that I want to address today is something that is very, very important to us. It is one of our core principles. And if you were, uh, you can go back and listen to the message earlier that we talked about on the uh, one of our first weeks here. But we're trying to put the big things in first before anything else kind of comes in and takes up the space of kind of what we're trying to lay a foundation for. We're trying to put the big things in first. And this is a big one. So your notes are a little bit different tonight. You'll notice that they don't have a lot of lines in them, you know, for it to be filled in as we go along. There's a couple of scriptures, um, a couple of little questions, a quote from someone. And then on the back side is just the lines for you to take notes. And the reason for that tonight is, is that I was, I was, um, I kind of learned early in ministry that some things are caught and some things are taught. This is going to be a little bit of teaching but you're going to have to catch this one. This is going to be heart work tonight, a little bit ahead to kind of adjust the heart. And so it's something that I really want you to, if the Lord starts to speak to you, if the Holy Spirit drops something in your heart while you're, while you're sitting here and he says, I want to, I want you to, to me and you to come back in our quiet time later, or I want you to read the scripture later, make sure you jot it down on the back of that page. But I wanted you to have kind of the resources in your hand tonight that we're going to deal with, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, for this message, okay? So I don't, I, I got like nine, mes- I got nine titles for this message, right? Like it's, but it's basically going to be summed up in the scripture we're going to read, and it's called Take Up Your Cross and Follow Him. Let's read that scripture together in Matthew chapter 16. It's on your sheets of, in your notes there, verses 21, and then we'll read verses 24 through 26. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Let's go to verse 24. But then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower... You must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is there anything worth more than your own soul? The scripture that I really want to focus on is verse 24, and it's underlined on your notes there. It says, If any of you wants to be my follower... You must give up your own way, excuse me, take up your cross and follow me. We learned several weeks ago that everybody who comes into this place, whether it's for one time or you decide to make RCC the place you come for church and your community of believers going forward, your local expression of the global body of Christ going forward, that we want to equip you with a tool. And the tool is a question. Anybody remember the question? What does it mean? Thank you very much. The tool is a question. What does this mean? And if you if you need to employ this tool, 
when someone's speaking or you're reading scripture. It doesn't mean that you don't have the intelligence to grasp what's going on. What it means is it's not clear yet to your understanding, and it needs to be clear for our understanding. In, uh, in Proverbs, the second wisest man ever to walk the earth next to Christ, he, he talks about 52 different times in Proverbs uh, the importance of understanding. So when we ask the question, what does that mean? It is a tool to gain what Solomon is telling us as, as people, we need to gain understanding. We need to gain understanding about his word. <clears throat> so when I saw this, this phrase, and I'm, like, I'm a church kid, right? Like I grew up and heard this phrase so many times that I can't even remember countless youth camps and conferences and services about take up your cross and follow Jesus. And there was a song, right? Like, take up your cross. And we did choir numbers to it, and they kind of marched like that. I'm too white to do it good, but, um, <clears throat> but we would do all that stuff, right? And uh, we would all harmonize, which I can't do at all. I write music, I don't harmonize. I know it's weird, but, you know, whatever, deal with it. So I, I, would, I would remember that, and it was kind of something that always was implied that there was going to be an inconvenience to me. When you take up your cross and follow Jesus, it means you're going to have to not do what you want to do and follow what the good book says. You're going to have to kind of take the thing that you want to do and set it aside, and you're going to have to obey the Lord and follow his rules and his, the way he wants you to live the life. It's going to be inconvenient for you. So take up your cross, brother. And that's kind of how it was laid out to me. And although that does have a little implication to what it really means, as I began to do a deep dive into the scripture and, under, and try to understand, what is he trying to tell me? What is Jesus trying to relay to his disciples and his followers? Why is, he, why is he saying this? Why is this exact scenario recorded in three different gospels? It's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in Matthew and Luke, it's recorded in two different places. There is an emphasis when you find something in scripture that's repeated, we need to ask, why is it being repeated? There is a level of importance that's being elevated to you to, your, to, you, to um, take some time and dig into it when Jesus repeats something for us in Scripture. <clears throat> when I got into what this means, I felt as if what I had been taught earlier in my life and my legalistic denominational background did not suffice to what Christ was asking of me as his disciple and his follower in this passage. <clears throat> Obviously, when he mentions the cross, he's talking about crucifixion, the cross, right? The crucifixion. See, Roman, the, the Roman Empire did not invent crucifixion. One historian said they didn't invent it, but they sure did perfect it because they were more brutal and more harsh and more torturous than any of the previous nations who employed this death tactic throughout history. The earliest, the earliest that we have recorded, that historians have found recorded, that crucifixion was used was in Babylon from the Persians when they were overruling that area. They crucified 3,000 people at once. What most people don't understand is that when you look at the cross today on necklaces and like on things on the wall and the, you know, art forms and things like that, <clears throat> what you'll see is people look at that and attribute, oh, Jesus died on a cross. But he is not the only one who's ever died on a cross. There were tens of thousands of people who were executed via crucifixion throughout history and in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire used crucifixion 
for hundreds of years, almost a thousand years before Constantine ended the practice in the fourth century. He ended the practice and, and outlawed it and made it um, illegal to then crucify anyone. But up until that point, and Jesus is in that, in that time frame, and that's why he was crucified, there was uh, killing fields is the best way to try to explain them in Rome. What would happen is, is there was, they would not necessarily execute just one person at a time. They would execute, execute groups of people at a time. And so what they would do is they would take the vertical posts, the beam, the up and down beam, and they would leave that in the ground knowing it was going to be used in the future. Because of that, and in most cases, what we'll find is that Jesus probably did not carry both beams of the cross. He actually carried just the cross beam when he was walking up to the hill to be crucified in Golgotha. They reused these pieces of wood for multiple murders, multiple killings. So it's also very possible that the one that Jesus carried was used with some other criminal for his execution earlier. <clears throat> they would kill 50, 80, 100, 200, 300 people at a time in these giant areas of crucifixion. It was one of the most brutal, harsh ways to die. And the Romans did it on purpose to make an example out of the one who was being killed. Everybody knew what crucifixion was like. They understood the gruesome reality of it. Your children probably saw it if you were growing up in that culture at the time. You were very familiar with the brutality of crucifixion. So when Jesus looks at his disciples and says, hey, all of us understand what that is like. And if you want to be my follower, you're going to have to take all the things that you want, set them aside, pick up the cross and follow him. Rome had a law that you were not allowed to crucify and execute a Roman citizen. You weren't allowed. You were only allowed to crucify people who were traitors, who were thieves, who were, who were the worst dredges of humanity. But there were some people in Rome who were dredges of humanity, so to get around their law, they had another rule in place that once you were convicted to be crucified, you were, convicted of, you were convicted of the crime that was going to come with the punishment of crucifixion that you, if you were a Roman citizen, you lost your citizenship at that moment. Think about that. All the laws that protect you as an American, no one can do anything to you. No one can assault you without having to be arrested. All of those laws that protect us in our society, you think about those laws at one point in time, the moment you're convicted of a crime, being immediately lifted and no holds barred, all walls, all barriers for you to be protected are now gone. That is what they dealt with when someone was convicted of the crime and sentenced for crucifixion. The Romans were especially brutal in their torture and they, <clears throat> they whipped and beat and, 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 and just obliterated people before they walked to the place they were going to be crucified. There are stories throughout history 
that the citizens of Rome would come out to when someone, whoever it was, was being crucified, would begin to walk down the road. They would know it, and they would come out, and they would assault the person. They would take stones and throw them at him. They would hit him. They would punch him. They would kick them. They would spit on them. They would break glass on the ground in front of them and force them to walk across it. And the Roman soldiers and the guards had no recourse because it was allowed they were no longer a citizen of Rome. The people were allowed to assault the one who was about to be killed. There are even stories, historians tell us, that there are some people that the, 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 the beating they endured going to the point of crucifixion was so unbelievably terrible that they were relieved to be crucified because of the assault they physically took on the way to be hung. When Jesus says the words, you must take up your cross and follow me, he is not merely looking at us as his followers and believers and saying, hey, you need to live right. You need to follow these rules I laid out here. You need to... Do you see the contrast between that and what he's trying to say? When he picks up, when you pick up your cross, you are saying, I give up all rights to myself. Every right that I had to my own life, how we talked about last week, about how we're the center of the universe, where everything revolves around us, that's not how it works, right? Everything revolves around the sun. Everything should be revolving around him if we are a Christ follower and believer. Everything in our life should be in pivots around him. And what he's saying here is you picking up that cross is you saying, I am giving up my rights. I'm giving them all up so I can go where you want me to go. Do you see the difference in the weightiness of what's being asked of us, of disciples of Christ? You see the difference between that and follow the rules, man. You better not drink, smoke, or chew or run with those that do. Those little quirky sayings that I heard in youth group all the time, you know what I mean? Like <clears throat> all that stuff, as if that was the thing that was going to destroy my heart. When it was the selfishness, jealousy, envy anger, covetousness that was in me that was doing that work. I was real good at not doing those things. I was real good at that. But being eaten up with lust in my own heart, that was the thing that God was saying, hey, that is what you have to give up. He's turning to his disciples and he's saying, pick this up. And when you do, you're giving up your rights to yourself. What are you giving up the rights to? Doing some things that your flesh may want to do? Sure. But you can probably discipline yourself out of doing those things, right? It's not just giving up something that you might want to do. It's also giving up the way you want something to turn out. 
It's giving up the way you thought life would go. It's giving up the way that you had this perfect, uh, like utopian dream in your head of, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to be married by this age, and have kids by this age, and they're going to be out of the house by this age, and so I'll have this portion of my life to, to kind of just go out there and travel the world and I'll be retired and we'll be millionaires and I'll own a home and we'll just have grandkids and we'll sit around the Christmas tree at the holidays and sip cocoa and just talk about Jesus and we'll go home and we'll cry because we love each other and then we'll see each other the next day and all of that and we'll watch Hallmark movies until we're dead. God, I'm almost dead. I've seen so many of those things. But <clears throat> we're going to do all of that and then all of a sudden life happens. And sometimes we look at those adjustments as people who follow Christ. We look at those detours or those things that knock us off our track and go, that's the devil. Why did life happen to me that way? When it very well may be the Lord saying, you are going to give up your rights, right? So I got the right to nudge you in a different direction. I got a great story of this. My wife and I and 72, I'm not kidding, we counted them all, 72 people moved to Texas several years ago to go plant a church. <clears throat> it was a train wreck. Every single person gave everything they had. People were working jobs. They were sacrificing. There was all of this stuff that was going on. Everyone was pouring into it, pouring into it, pouring into it. We were the kind of people who, who a junior can tell you, we were the kind of people who were like, we would go do work together. And after we would work, we'd be like, hey, guys, want to grab dinner? And we go eat dinner together. And, we had, and then we would go and be like, our kids are going to play in the same sports leagues together. And we're going to see you on our days off. And we were just happy to be around each other. And it was this big thing. And we had this plan. We're going to go do this church. We're going to blow that sucker up. We're all going to build our dreams around here. We're going to grow up together. All the friends are going to be together. The kids are going to be together. We're just going to ransack hell for, for the Lord. We're going to go do all this stuff. We're going to build this worship team and this ministry and make this thing global. And it's going to be great. We're going to live the rest of our life in this great utopia. And now you go, it's ridiculous. But at the moment, we were dead serious, man. And I'm sure you probably know what that's like, too. And when we got there and nothing we could do would make it work, we painfully, regrettably, and heartbreakingly watched the Lord take some of my favorite people away and put them somewhere else. And that crew that went dispersed. And me and Nina were kind of some of the last ones left. And we're sitting here going, God, I wish I could tell you that I, at that moment I realized it and it was great. And I went, whatever you want, Lord, your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Of course, just do what you want to do. Nope, I didn't do that. I screamed and kicked and cried and yelled and sat in the Vista Ridge Mall parking lot in Louisville, Texas, in my truck and wept for hours every day trying to figure out what the Lord was trying to do. And at the end of one of those prayer sessions where I poured my guts out to God, I said, what are you trying to do? Kill me? Because this is torture. And he said, yes. I said, what do you mean you're trying to kill me? He said, 
when you say me, I'm talking about the me that only thinks about me. That independence. I got it. That thing right there that feels entitled to, why should I have these problems? I did what you said. I followed the rules in that book. I'm going to put that to death. Do you want to follow me? Because look at the first line of that scripture. If any of you wants to be my follower, let's just stop right there. If any of you wants to be my follower, who would sign up for that? Because I sure didn't. I didn't sign up, God, for the heartache. I signed up for the, yes, everybody's doing great. I signed up for that, right? Nope. What you signed up for, son, was when you picked up that beam and said, I'm going to follow you. You're saying all rights that you have to your life and how you want it to go are gone. So if you make these grandiose plans and slap God's name on it, he is under no obligation to fulfill them. What he's trying to do is kill you. And when I say you, I'm talking about the part of you that only thinks about you. He's trying to kill us. Not physically. He's trying to kill that flesh nature that wants what it wants when it wants it and will sacrifice anyone else to get it. He's trying to kill that. And by us as people who say, I want to follow God. I want to be his disciple. I want this to happen. When you pick up that beam and you pick up your cross to follow him until the point of your death, there are some things that he's going to allow happen in between that road that are not going to be pleasant. He knows they won't kill you. He knows you'll make it through. He knows you'll cry. He knows it'll be rough. He knows it'll cost you something. He knows you'll probably go back to him and go, um, what? Is this what happens for people who are serving you? Is this, what, is this what I'm reaping from sowing all these denials of myself and following the Jesus rules my whole life? Is this what grows when I plant that seed? Is following you mean that I'm suffering? And he says, absolutely. What happened to Jesus who never sinned? Why did I think I was exempt? Oh, then you do that for me? He paid the price for you, but that part of you is still alive, and it needs to go. It needs to go. When you pick up that cross, there's some of those people that recognize you lost your rights, and they will come after you. Your job is not to look at them and be like, God's going to deliver me from my hater. <laughs> no. Amen. He's under no obligation to do that. Amen. He's not under any obligation to do that Amen. because he may use the hater 
to put you in a position you never would have been in, to push a flesh reaction out of you. And he says, let's put that thing to death. He's going to put you in scenarios with jobs or bosses or teachers or colleagues or, God forbid, pastors. He's going to put you in some scenario with an imperfect person that's going to do something wrong to you. And it's going to feel like he is trying to kill you. He's not trying to kill you. He's trying to kill the part of you that only thinks about you. There are some situations he's going to create through pain and suffering that will only reveal what is in the darkest part of this gut of yours. This gut of mine. And he pushes all that stuff in the shadows to the forefront. I was driving down Greenway Road, right here behind the house, going to work one day late, very upset after a meeting I had had that did not go the way I wanted it to go. I was bugged by it for days. My wife knew I was bugged by it. As I was driving down the road, I did just like this. I was in a scenario where I thought it was going to be this great, yes, triumphant moment. We're going to go forward. We're going to do things together. It's going to be awesome. And that, no, 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 it didn't happen that way. It was actually not just not that, it was worse than not that. It was like, just didn't go very well for me. And I was driving to work. I was, I was late for work and I didn't get to go spend my time with the Lord like I try to do in the morning. So I'm rushing down Greenway Road and I said, God, this is really bugging me. And it shouldn't bug me, right? Like I should just be able to not have a good meeting and it'd be all right. Like, one of my expectations didn't pan out. That should be okay. I'm used to that. I should, why? Why is this bugging me so much? Is there something you're trying to show me? And I just silent for about five seconds. And this is the weirdest thing probably it's ever happened to me, but I could almost feel like this thing right here, something right here in my gut, push up, and these words involuntarily fell out of my mouth. I desperately want the approval of man. I went, what did I just say? No, I don't. I have a huge I don't care button. I don't care what people think. I don't do that. I don't. And then it just hit me like the Holy Spirit just went, bam. I desperately want the approval of man. And he said, son, let's put that to death. I was mad at the environment and the people who God used to do that to me. I took it personal. But he used that scenario to push something out of me that had to die before I entered the next phase and stood here. Because if I stood here and worried about the approval of man, it would torment me and I would make decisions that are not biblical or led by his spirit when we're trying to do things his way because it's not my church, it's his. At the time, I hated it. It's almost similar to that guy walking down the path and somebody from the society throwing something at him. If that's you and you're in a scenario like that and people are hurting you in some way, shape, or form, I'm going to encourage you to 
not take it personal. That's really hard to do, and let me just don't be, oh, don't take it personal. No, 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 no. <laughs> if that person's heart was aligned perfectly with Christ, would they have done that to you? Amen. They wouldn't have. The people who say stuff or, or treat you bad or steal from you or lie about you or whatever it is that they, they did that was negative to you, if the boss keeps coming down on you for some reason, he singled you out because he don't like the way you look or you look like his ex-wife and he don't like her, so he's yelling at you a lot or whatever, you know, I mean, it happens. If that person's heart was submitted to Christ, they would not act that way. So I want to challenge you as a disciple of Christ, as a follower of him, to not look at that one. That's how Jesus says you can pray for your enemies. Because what he's doing, she's doing, what they're doing to you may seem personal because your feelings are involved, but it's actually the action of a heart that's not submitted to Christ. And God is using that to put you in a scenario you would never be in to drive something out of you that needs to die for those of you who want to be my followers. At that point, all of the rah, rah, yes, I'll go follow Jesus everywhere stops. And you got to make a choice at that moment. Here and here. That no matter how this goes and no matter what he uses to refine me, no matter what scenario he puts me in to drive something in me out the flesh reaction out, no matter what it is, I want to be his follower. So I'm picking up that stupid cross and I'm giving up my rights and I'm following him. We're not talking about, oh, church plant stuff. No, 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 no. This is the work of disciples, which is what he asked his disciples to go into the world and make. Contrast that message by the message I saw this week online where someone was like, God wants you to go into the devil's territory and get your stuff. <laughs> what? He's trying to kill you, the part of you that only thinks about you. There's not a lot of worry about your stuff. He has everything, and in a moment can give you anything, a hundred thousand fold of what you lost when you were following him. Stuff ain't the issue, it's our hearts. And that is what he's after. Are we gonna be those people who say, I want to be his follower, knowing that that's in front of me? Can we see now why Jesus made statements like, either be hot or cold or I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Be one way or the other. Don't try to walk in the middle here. Go all the way. Lose your rights or keep them. But whatever you do, just do something. Just don't try to walk both sides of the fence here. Because he's calling us to give up our rights. <clears throat> I... um. Read a story 
a couple weeks ago that was pretty astounding to me. The fastest growing church in the world for several years has happened has been having in China. I don't know if you know that, but the underground church in China is exploding. It is massive. The government is trying to use all types of technology and things to figure out who these people are and where they keep meeting, and they're trying to snuff out the Christian people. The missionaries who go there, one of, one, one of whom was, uh, that I knew one of them who went, had to be insanely secretive about he, where he was. You couldn't mention it on Facebook or anything like that because they monitor all of the, the communications on social media and email. He had to be insanely secretive, but the church there is thriving. And they're not worried about going to get their stuff. They're worried about, can I sit in this home like we are doing together in peace without somebody coming in the door to drag me off to make me an example to the rest of these little churches to stop meeting. I've seen pictures of them open up a box of Bibles and these people fight for one of them and clench it to their chest and weep and say, God, I have this word. And I got five of them sitting over there on the shelf. One of the newest evangelical Christian revival movements that's happening today is now happening in the predominantly Muslim nation of Iran. <clears throat> there is an under, undercurrent of people who are finding Christ some of them through dreams, some of them through the preaching of the gospel, some of them through relationships, some, some of them through being shared through his word. There is this massive undercurrent of these people who are starting to realize this Muslim faith that I've been following has so much, uh, so much deficiency. It is not the truth. It is a lie. And they are being open to the truth about Christ. And they're forming these churches. And most of the leaders of this movement are women. One of these women who knows what's at risk, they asked her, are you afraid of what's happening? And you're afraid to be found out? And here's what she said. We know that if they get us, the Muslim oppressors, the first thing they will do because we are women is rape us beat us, and ultimately kill us. This is the decision we have made that we want to offer our bodies as sacrifices because I have thought this when I wake up in the morning that when I leave through that door, I may not come back. One of the underground leaders made this statement. Disciples, Forsake the world and cling to Jesus Twig. Converts don't. Disciples aren't engaged in a culture war. Converts are. Disciples cherish, obey, and share the word of God. Converts don't. Disciples choose Jesus over anything and everything else. Converts don't. Converts run when the fire comes disciples don't go get your stuff 
Live your best life, man. What? Uh, follow those rules. What? No. If you want to be his follower, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross. Lose the rights to you. And follow him. Matt, what are you saying? You want all that oppression to come here and you want the, 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 the harsh reality that the people in these foreign countries are, are facing with the government who is coming after them and trying to kill them from people of other religions? Nope. Uh-uh. I don't want that. I do want that fire. That says, I'll, I lose my rights. I lose them. I don't care what the culture says. I don't care what they tell me about. I got to be on my grind and I got to get out there and, and make something happen for myself and pull myself up by the bootstraps. Man, bump all of that. I want to be his follower. I lose my rights to me. So I'm going to ask you the same questions I had to ask myself at the end of studying for this message. Am I a disciple or a convert? Am I willing to take up the cross, lose my rights to myself, let him use whatever means necessary to put me in a position to make me more like him? Am I willing to let God put us in a position to put the old life and old desires to death so that we can truly live in Christ? I'm not going to ask you to answer those questions. I'm going to ask you to answer them for yourself. If you feel some type of way or condemnation at this moment because you feel like that's not you, don't feel that way because it it's not me. I get preoccupied in comparison and how this person's doing and this family's doing and how this person is doing in their job or career or whatever, and I look at my life and I go, I got to shut this up because how does this even matter? I'm losing the rights to myself. Willingly giving it up. I'm asking him to kill parts of me so I can live like him. Let's bow your heads real quick before we wrap up today. At the end of these messages, I'm going to ask you a question almost probably every time that I will remember it, and it's this. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you through this message? Is there a scenario that you're in right now that you've been asking God to pull you out of, and he hasn't? And now you're realizing maybe he's got me there to put me in the scenario because there's something that's got to die in me. Are we willing to give up the expectations of how our life should go and say, I give all my rights away so that he can live through me?